Good morning, everyone. My name is Dan Mike. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 23, if you will. As a community, we have been weaving our way in and through the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, um, but mainly developing a theme, uh, the theme of exile. What is, what is exile and, and why did that happen in this group and what can we learn from that? Um, exile being the group, the, the nation of Israel being placed in, in a place of captivity in a way, you know, to, to be dislocated from their actual, uh, their homeland because of the rampant wickedness, the fact that they have turned their back on God, he is using this as an opportunity for them to kind of purge some of the habits and things that they were used to, to get back to a place where they um, can, can, in a simple place, see what's really important and who's really important. Exile is a big theme in the Bible. As we are going to see, it's not always um, per se something that God is doing in, in a form of punishment, but it's also just a, a place that we live in, even as Christians. And we're going to develop that theme even more next week as Rod's going to teach us from the book of Hebrews. Um, which is why it's important to just sort of hone in on Jeremiah today because this is our last week in, in the text of Jeremiah pr proper. Now, you can develop the theme of, of, of exile from books like Second Chronicles, 2 Kings. You can see it in uh, some of the stuff that Isaiah talks about and other prophets. But we're talking about Jeremiah and what happened in, in his view here. It's kind of hard for me to read. I don't know if you guys have been reading along with this or not. I mean, hard in several senses. One is there's not really a, a chronological uh, conviction here, right? There's certain things that don't really make sense uh, as to where they are. There's uh, even thematically it's jumbled up at times. And it reads like an anthology of just like of, of passion, caution. And as I'm reading it, I'm starting to get sort of like a, a word picture of, of what it looks like. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? And I promise you, I, there's, there's stuff about the Grand Canyon that just cracks me up. Like the signs that are there are very passive aggressive. I think uh, there's a lot of stuff there that I don't know what's been going on. I mean, I, I, I saw a sign that said, um, are you young and fit and healthy? And then it said, you fit the profile of three people who have died here recently. And it's like, <laughs> just, just say, like caution, you know. I, I, I noticed as soon as I pulled in the parking lot, it, there was a sign that said, most people don't survive the first 50 feet. I'm like, that is a very strong, like, just warn me or something here. Uh, it's, in, in this picture, it, to me, it's like Jeremiah is standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and all of his friend family are walking backwards laughing and like carrying on. And he's like, you guys are gonna walk off the edge and just yelling at him to stop, stop doing what you're doing. And they just, they don't listen. They mock him. They actually are antagonistic towards him. The whole story, they're looking at him. And he gets so just frustrated and depressed about this. I mean, um, as I was reading through it, I, I stumbled upon that great Hobby Lobby line in Jeremiah. Um, Your word is like a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary from holding it in, right? And, and that, that comes from a complaint, actually. He, he, he's actually saying, not like I'm passionate about the Bible. He's like, I really wish that I could just stop 
what I'm doing because it's making me feel so depressed and sad that no one's listening. And he goes on to even say, cursed be the day that I was born, right, in that same passage. He is really struggling through this. And I'm struck by it because Jeremiah specifically is such a, a compelling story of somebody who actually was faithful in exile. I mean, we could talk about the why of exile all we want, but once you get it, you're left thinking, now what? Like, I don't want to be at odds with God. I don't want to turn my back on God. So, so if I'm in this space, is there a way to be faithful? Is there a way that I can follow God? And Jeremiah kind of shows us the highs and lows of what that looks like if we would look closely at it. Furthermore, as I've been reading through Jeremiah this last month with you all, I've been thinking about one thing specifically. So I like to imagine, you're going to think this is probably dumb, but I was, it's like I'm having coffee with Jeremiah and saying, I got a question for you. And it's a simple question. Why did some people think that Jesus was like a, an embodiment of Jeremiah? What was it about Jeremiah that people knew so well that when Jesus came on the scene, people were like, that's a guy that he kind of reminds me of that. You probably remember the story in Matthew 16 where it's the Caesarea Philippi moment with the disciples where uh, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, right before that, Jesus said, who do the people say that I am? And he goes, some are like, you're like a John the Baptist type. You're like an Elijah. And then, he's, then he goes, and some are even saying, Jeremiah. Well, what do you think it was that was so strikingly similar? Was it the fact that Jesus quoted Jeremiah when he upset the uh, commerce that was going on at the Temple Mount and, and said, you have made my house into a house of uh, a den of thieves? Was it the fact that Jesus wept like he was somebody who was known for being like uh, gr full of grief and emotion about what's going on in the world? Was it, was it some, something like that? I, I don't know if you noticed this, but I think it was in chapter 38, Jeremiah was trying to get arrested by uh, the king and everybody, and they went to get him, and he disappeared. <laughs> that doesn't happen to that many people. So maybe that's one of the Jesus connections, right? I mean, that happened to Jesus uh, too. And I'm sure it's, it's not like we can answer this question. I just like exploring it. It is all of the above. But Jesus does have a little bit of this same theme at, least, like, at the core of his life of being faithful and being faithful in the midst of being in a place, like an other place. And so even as we look through Jeremiah here uh, in, in several different passages, my ulterior motive is to get closer to Jesus and to know Jesus in a different way and to see him in this light so that we can be faithful like him as well. So please turn to chapter 23 of Jeremiah. This is one of three passages that I want to read to you today. And stand with me if you're there. And I'll read it to, uh, I'll read it, we'll read it together. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. 
declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil that you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them that will tend to them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will they be misled, nor will they be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when all people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought, us, brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought up the descendants out of, of Israel out of the land of the north and out of the countries where he had banished them, and then there they will live in their own land. Amen. There's three things I want to bring to your attention today about how to be faithful in the midst of exile. If you find yourself in a place where you realize we are not home yet, and we still have a ways to go. But your heart is the heart of Jer is like Jeremiah. And he, your heart, you're saying, I really want to live a faithful life. There's three things I want to look at. Number one, you have to have the right king. You have to have the right leader. You have to have the right heart. And you have to be stubborn. <laughs> okay, you have to be stubbornly committed to doing the things that you know the Lord wants you to do. So the first passage here that I want to read to you talks about leadership. For the first 40 chapters or so of Jeremiah is an explicit critique of the actual people of Israel and Judah as well as the leadership. And here he takes issue with the leadership and he, you're tipped off by that when he talks about shepherds. This is one of the number one uh, metaphors for leader or king in their time. And you can see that that weaves into um, the, the, the description of what is to come, there's a king to come, okay? So shepherd and king. But there's actually more to that going on into the leadership structure of the, of the nation of Israel at that time. There's a, tr a trinity, in a sense, of, uh, of who's in charge. The king is one, the priest is another one, and the prophet. Those three things are actual official roles of leadership. And so even in this passage, it applies to that. You can see in verse 9, he goes right into a critique against the prophets. I don't know if you want to even glance at that. When he's referring to the prophets, he's like, my heart is completely broken over this. All my bones tremble. I'm like a, like a drunk man, like a strong man overcome with wine. As he refer, is referring to the situation that they're in. So he takes a shot here at the leadership because of something that has happened. The way that they're leading has led all of the people of Israel to be in a place that, that I like to call to be scattered. And in this place of scattered, they are afraid, they are uh, anxious, they're terrified. They're not where they're supposed to be. 
And it's not like they're just not where they're supposed to be geographically. This is a, uh, this is a metaphor for they're not the way they're supposed to be in here. The leadership, as you can read through Jeremiah, has completely welcomed in idolatry into their nation and the worship of false gods. If you look in chapters like chapter 9, there's, a, there's a, a, an interesting phrase there where uh, the Lord is speaking and says that you have set up shrines to Baal, as many as there are cities within you, as many as there are streets in Jerusalem, you have set up this many, uh, th- this, this many altars to Baal and Molech. They're fully inundated with, um, with idolatry. And this is how idolatry works. It's a good thing. It's a thing that we, we generally want to have in our lives, and it promises control and security, and it promises comfort and satisfaction. And the more you become, the more you worship it, the more it starts to become clear that this is actually bondage, and it's never able to give you the thing that it's promising you. But it's like just quicksand. Continue to, to, you continue to sink towards it. It's something that is so offensive to God because God wants us to thrive, to flourish, and be healthy. And when you think about Jeremiah being referred to as the weeping prophet, as you even saw in, was that, verse 9, how he's just so, his heart is broken about this. You can't say, Jeremiah's just a really sensitive guy, but God's kind of ambivalent about this stuff. God is represented through Jeremiah. That's part of the role of being a prophet. It's not just to speak, it's to live. It's to have a life holistically representing God as the best you can. And so as you read through this, think about it. God is showing how heartbroken he is over this through Jeremiah. Even in uh, that, I think it was chapter 10 where Jeremiah said, I wish that my eyes and head was like a fountain of water ever flowing with tears about this. And I'm reading that thinking, yeah, this is just Jeremiah's, you know, he's the weeping prophet. But then it says, declares the Lord. This is not one or the other. This is a representation of God's heart is against this and he's brokenhearted over all the ways that his people have been scattered. So then he says, a word of hope. I'm gonna raise up a branch a righteous branch. It's gonna come off of the shoot. It's not gonna be the shoot or the trunk. It's gonna be a branch and specifically a branch that is strong in righteousness. He's gonna be a king. He's gonna rule justly and act wisely in the land. And this king is gonna be called the Lord, our righteousness. What is it about righteousness that could indicate to us as to who this would be? I think that this is talking about Jesus. I really think that this is a message about the king who is to come, who actually shows us what it means to, to, to have righteousness in our lives. It's not, it, it, I mean, Jesus is calling us to that when he talks about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. He is showing us righteousness with how he lives his life. Even in Romans 1, isn't it 116, one of that, that famous verse of I am not ashamed of the gospel, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, but it says the gospel reveals to us the righteousness of God. I mean, this is our king. 
This is who invites us in to be ambassadors on his behalf in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, to, to, to represent his message of forgiveness of sins as an ambassador for he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. This is a part of who Jesus is and what he's doing as our king. And I say this to you because now we get to choose who do we want our leader to be? If you find yourself in a scattered place, and when I look around in our world, I see a lot of scattered. Scatteredness when it comes to our theology and our politics and our families and scatteredness when it comes to morality. And attached to all of that are leaders and things that we're allowing to lead us into those places away from where we're supposed to be. And I'm here to just tell you, don't have to follow it. Take some time this week and evaluate who is my biggest influence? What voice am I listening to that's giving me permission to go away from perhaps the righteousness of God that's revealed to me in Christ? Leo Tolstoy is one of my uh, favorite writers and influences on me. He has a book uh, written in the late 1800s called The Kingdom of Heaven is Within You. And one of the things that he develops in there is a theme about exemptions. And uh, it's an exemption uh, that he said when, when, when Christians will say, I, I know that Jesus wants me to do something, but because of this certain circumstance or whatever, I'm exempt from doing that. And I remember when I read that, and I was just like, oh, no, I do it all the time, like justifying certain ways it, uh, of, of, of withholding forgiveness or certain times of withholding mercy from people or, or blessing. But we have a leader who is, who is a good shepherd and he is calling us forward onto a path of righteousness for his name's sake. And a leader who is wanting us to follow him in a, in a pattern, a cross-shaped pattern in this world as we represent him. And so ask yourself, who is my leader? Who am I following? And maybe today we can listen, like, unlike the people of Jeremiah, and say, I am not going to follow those voices that give me exemptions. I'm not going to follow those other leaders take me away uh, from where I'm supposed to be. But I am going to follow the righteous branch, our king. If you want to live faithfully in exile, you got to know who's your leader because we're all following somebody. Second thing I'd like to point you to is in chapter 31. So we move on forward to chapter 31, verse 31. Uh, if you'd turn there. <laughs> the second thing I want to talk about about being faithful in exile is something has to happen internally. Chapter 31 and verse 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, even though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach the neighbor and say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. 
for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. One of the reasons why I'm struck by this passage, I mean, I could talk about it for forever, is because we can be mad as, we, as mad as we want about the leaders who are doing a bad job leading us into a scattered place, but there's something unique that happens here where there's a dig, it's a dignifying thing to be told you also, your heart as an individual has, has culpability here, has responsibility. It's not very often in the ancient world where you, start, where you see something hone in on individuals. A lot of times it's spoken in generalities to a nation, to a city, to a people group. But here in Jeremiah 31, there's specifically a reference to uh, a person's heart being ministered to, a person's mind being ministered to. And it's in the context of individuals breaking covenant, being unfaithful. I mean, this is Jeremiah we're talking about here. The language is very sharp and dramatic. What does he say? I was a husband to you. In another place in Jeremiah, he says, I, I am giving you a certificate of divorce. I mean, this is the sharp and deep, like this is how bad their relationship has gotten. Is it, this is how it's described to us. And when I think about my life and I think about my relationship with God, there is just so many times where I'm realizing that I am just fully guilty of unfaithfulness. The beautiful thing about this covenant, and it reminds me so much about that night where Jesus poured the, poured the wine and broke the bread, where he talks about a new covenant, is that the language here is all, it all shifts from the people who were unfaithful to something committed to being done by God himself. I am going to make a new covenant and I am going to make this happen for you. There is no reference there of whether or not you then are you know, a big piece of the mix of being unfaithful or not. The this is why Jesus invites the disciples to drink this and eat this and take it in. And this is me. This is my body broken for you my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, the new covenant poured out for you. It's a new covenant I'm making to you and all you have to do is accept it. Accept that I'm making a covenant to you to make sure that you are going to be forgiven and brought back to the place that you're always meant to be. They're in that place of, of realizing that it's not about whether or not I can uh, uh, stop uh, being unfaithful or, or, or manage all the stuff that I have to manage. It's about remembering and accepting the covenant that God has given to me and to you, to all of us. He then goes on to say, um, there is something that's going to, remembering is going to be a part of this. It's going to be on your heart and on your minds. It's going to be within you. Remember what Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is going to be from within you. It's going to be something that you then get to develop as a person in this world. It's a very confusing world and trying to figure out how to do this right and how to love that person right and love that person right and how to make sure everything is, is consistent with uh, the kingdom of heaven. But guess what? It's it's coming out from within you. It's written on your heart and written on your mind. And God has dignified you in this way to be able to say, you have what it takes to be able to live consistently in this time. You can do this. 
It will be a part of your memory, but there will also be a forgetfulness that we have to talk about as well. My favorite part is that last bit, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. You guys know anybody who is a forgetful person? Maybe you forgot if you knew someone who was forgetful. Or maybe you just need to know, it's me. All right, if you want to know a forgetful person, it is me. And there's a myth going around about me having some sort of perfect memory. But if, there, if that's true, it's feast or famine with me for sure because there are things that I can tell you. I tried to write down a list of stuff about how, how strangely forgetful I can be. Um, and, and it's just, it's painful for my wife. And my one thought that came to mind about this, just sort of a side note, is that um, when my wife and I were traveling we were living in Israel for a while, and we had a very close-knit group of people that were around us. And, and I guess at some point during that time, we were informed by my family my childhood dog had died. And I was, like, really bummed out about it. And there was a group of people that witnessed this. But then what happened was three times that same thing happened in front of the people where it came up, and Chelsea was like, you know, Ginger, you know, passed away, and I got really sad again. I was like, what? And then every, and they're like, yeah, we already talked about this. I'm like, no, 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 I didn't know that. I got to process this. And it happened again. And all the people, they were like, there's something going on with you. And I'm like, I cannot commit this to memory for some reason. I feel bad. I feel guilty about it, Ginger. Poor girl. Even this week, there's been a couple doozies. Like, blacked out. I cannot remember these conversations. Okay, so I only say that because when I see this verse here about sin being forgiven and remembered no more, I don't, there's parts of me that do not believe it. It's like, we'll just not talk about it anymore. Or like, I just want to believe it. I want to believe it that God says, I, I'm, I'm not going to remember that anymore. There's a voice of a, of a condemning, lying person that is prowling around our world telling you you are condemned. Holding things over you, stuff that you've done, stuff that I've done that he does not want you to forget. And if that voice, just for anybody in here, is continuing to speak in your, in your ear and, and will not let you off the hook, it's not coming from God. And it is not going to be something that you should listen to as you are trying to be faithful in exile. But when you have asked for forgiveness and you have received that blood of Jesus of the new covenant and sought reconciliation, everything you need to do, and you go before the Lord, I dare you, bring it up. See what he says. Because the God that I know is going to look you in the eye and say, I don't, rem I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't remember that. I don't think about that when I think of you. I have forgiven your sins and will remember it no more. And from that place, we then move into responding to that faithfully in this world and doing right by that. If you want to be faithful in a time of exile, bring your heart before the Lord and let him do his work on it.
If we had time for one more story, I'd like to invite you to, to 42. I know we got Mother's Day stuff to do, all right? And this is hard for me. I'm normally like a guy that makes a big deal out of a small thing. And this is like a small thing out of a big, giant, 50-some chapter thing. Okay, so we're all in a... We're all in this together. So chapter 42, if you, if you haven't um, read this yet, there, there's a whole, this is the end of Jeremiah's life, okay? This is how it all wraps up. You go to chapter 36, 37, you start to see Jeremiah compelled to write down the prophecies with his best friend Baruch uh, on this scroll. So they write it all down, and they're like, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. We're bring it to the king. They bring it to him, and you know what happens? The king, the king reads a few, like a page, is unrolling, he takes his knife and cuts it and throws it in the fire. <laughs> and he continues to do it all, until the whole entire thing is burnt. And somebody tells Jeremiah, you better rock and roll and get out of here because this is not going well. Uh, and he, he goes to his hometown and guess what? Someone from his hometown accuses him of trying to side with the enemy and they arrest him. They then take him into a place where there's this big cistern and there's a bun- it's broken and they throw him down in this cistern uh, as his new jail cell. It's filled with mud and soot to the point where he can't even sit down. And they're just going to leave him down there. This guy has been preaching for 45 years to this people. And a Cushite... Abed-Melech, he's not even an Israelite guy. He, he has pity on Jeremiah, and he goes into the, he ties a bunch of bed sheets together, whatever, and lets it down there and, and lifts him out. Nebuchadnezzar does destroy Jerusalem at this point and, and leaves the poor and people who are inconsequential or whatever to his plan behind, including Jeremiah. And the whole time, you're kind of wondering, like, is Jeremiah ever going to be vindicated? Is there ever going to be a time where he's like, where, where, where he is shown as like the good guy? And then on, on, on Nebuchadnezzar's way out of the country, he looks back and he's like, you know what? Go ask that guy, Jeremiah, if he wants to come live with me in my house. I'll give him, I'll give him full retirement. And you're kind of like, maybe that's a good idea. Like, this has been just really bad for you. And this could be your chance to be like... Thank you. And he says no. He doesn't go. And so he stays in Jerusalem. I just want to skim through this and point this out to you. But the people that are left there ask Jeremiah to pray for them and ask for them for what they should do next. Verse 5, then Jeremiah said, may the Lord be true. Or they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we don't act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us. Hey, whether it's favorable or unfavorable, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it'll go well with us and we will obey the Lord. Ten days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Listen to what he says. He called them all together. Verse nine. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition says, if you stay in this land, I will build you up. I will not tear you down. I will plant you, not uproot you. For I have relented concerning the disaster I've inflicted upon you. Don't be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you. And I will save you and deliver you from his hands. I will show you compassion. 
so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. He then goes on to say, however, if you choose to disobey me and go to Egypt, because you think this is going to keep you safe, the opposite is going to happen. Jeremiah is like, it's never a good idea to go to Egypt. Prophets are like, they're the preachers, right, of the town. Okay, they know the, they know the stories. It's never a good idea to go to Egypt. This is Bible 101. And uh, sorry, Hanny, I know you're... I see you right there. Now it's different. I'm talking about the story. Uh, it's, it's never a good idea to do this. And then um, look at verse 40 or 43, verse 2. All right, so Azariah and Yohanan are all, and all the arrogant men say to Jeremiah, after he says this, you're lying. The Lord has not sent you to say you must not go to Egypt and settle there. But Baruch your buddy is inciting you against us to hand us over to the Babylonians. So they're suspicious of his answer, and they take him, they take him captive, and they go to Egypt. And he spends the rest of his life in Egypt. He preaches some sermons here at the end all the way, and then you can literally see it just falls off a cliff in um, the end of 51. As, as his final kind of prophecy uh, sermon toward Babylon, it just ends where he said, and then it says, the words of Jeremiah end here. And that's what we got. And in some ways, I kind of like that the Bible does this to us. And it doesn't set up a thing that's always wrapped up in a tidy little bow and says, see, this is what happens when you're faithful in exile. It's gonna be okay and you're gonna be able to have your cake and eat it too. Jeremiah doesn't ever give indication. He doesn't ever get somebody that says, you know what, you were right. He, he just stays faithful for the rest of his life. And that's the message that he gives to them there in Jerusalem when they were praying. Don't go. Stay faithful. God is with us. He will, not, he will not uproot you. He will plant you. He will build you up. Do not be afraid of King Nebuchadnezzar. I am with you. Stay and be faithful, which is the arc of the whole story of Jeremiah's life. Just stay here and be faithful. The third thing that you need if you want to be faithful in exile is a stubbornness to do what you know that God wants you to do. Even if your own people are calling you a liar, even if they're constantly antagonizing you and telling you that you don't know what you're talking about, it's not going to be easy all the time. It won't be conventional. It won't always be something that makes sense to everybody that's around you. But this is going to be the case in this season that we live in right now where we will have to make a decision to say, though none go with me, still I will follow. And I just wanna speak that to you as just an encouragement that if Jeremiah were here even with us to this day, I mean, could you imagine his surprise if he found out thousands of years later we're talking about him? <laughs> And to validate that guy, and I know that he would say, even now, be faithful. Even now, trust in God. He will build you up. If you just believe that he is with you, don't be afraid. Keep following him. 
And if anything, as we ask ourselves, why did people think that Jesus looked like Jeremiah? It's for this reason. He did not have an easy path. He had a narrow path. And he was faithful all the way to the end because he had a heart for all the people who were caught up, for all of us who have been caught up in the snares and trappings of evil and wickedness and sin. And he said, I will not let go until I set them free. And I will stay faithful all the way to the end. Praise God, he has. And he becomes Jesus. He becomes the one that we are trying to be faithful to and honor as we are in this in-between times of our lives. And he is the one who invites us on a path with him that's shaped like the cross, the narrow path that says, uh, just follow me on this. Do not be afraid, for I will be with you even to the end of the age. If you're tracking with me on this, even a little bit, I just want to invite you to just pray through it together as we go um, into our world. So please join me for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, if there's even now some of your sheep that have been scattered and or just the feeling of being scattered, I would just pray your truth into their life. They do not have to follow false shepherds and follow voices that are leading them into a place that you don't want them to be. We have the good shepherd whose voice we can recognize, who is always leading us into a, a path of righteousness for his name's sake. And so just convict us and show us and guide us and be the shepherd that you promised to be. Like that song we always used to sing, Savior like a shepherd lead us. Sometimes we're just confused and just need to hear your voice. Even now, just direct us to which way to go. We trust you, our righteous branch, our King of kings, the Lord, our Savior. If there's any of us here who just feel like our heart has just got poison in it and we are not sure, we don't believe that, that you can do a work there, that I always pray that you would do right by your promise to write your law, the law of love, into our hearts, to speak to our hearts, to remove the heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in there a heart that responds to you in this world in a way that's just true and consistent with who you are. If any of us just need to know that you have forgiven our sin, you have forgotten, you have set us free, then today just fall afresh on that heart, even mine. If any of us need to hear you just say, just stay the course, crossroads, just stay the course and be faithful. If there's an Egypt just calling us, the house of bondage is always calling us, is always saying that it's gonna be okay if you just uh, pledge your loyalty and allegiance to, uh, to me. Help us to just repent from that and turn and say, it's, we're never gonna go there. No matter what, we're never gonna go. We're gonna stay faithful to you. By your grace, through the power of your spirit, we're going to stay faithful to you because we know that you are continuing to pour out resurrection life and power on us as we do that. God, bless this community and bless us as we uh, enter into this calling that you've given us to represent you in our world. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.